It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, October 21st, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Five new COVID cases were reported in Sitka on Tuesday, according to the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. The case count is a slight uptick in the downward trend in cases Sitka has seen in the last couple of weeks, with one to two cases reported most days. Sitka was one case shy of downgrading its coronavirus alert level from high to substantial. The new cases keep the alert level at high, with 13 cases reported over the last week. The alert level will be downgraded once fewer than nine cases are reported over a seven-day period. Since the pandemic began, Sitka has reported 1,165 coronavirus cases, 23 hospitalizations, and five deaths associated with the virus. The Sitka School District tracked two new coronavirus cases on Tuesday. One case is associated with Blatchley Middle School, and one case is associated with Sitka High School. Both individuals are isolating. As of Tuesday, they were the only two active coronavirus cases currently associated with the district. The city of Yakutat held its municipal elections Tuesday night, with community members voting for three assembly seats and four school board seats. In the race for assembly, Ali Paget was the frontrunner with 77 votes, Steve Kaufman snagged the second open seat with 52 votes, and the third seat went to Nick Holcomb with 48 votes. Holcomb was one of three write-in candidates vying for assembly. For the one-year school board seat, Sarah Pate was the clear winner with 87 votes, challenged only by one other candidate. The two-year school board seats went to Victoria L. Demert with 98 votes and Kip Hoadley with 44. Both candidates went unchallenged, with Hoadley winning as a write-in candidate. The three-year school board seat went to Casey Mapes with 25 votes. Mapes was also the only candidate in an all-write-in race for the three-year position. Yakutat reported five new coronavirus cases on Wednesday, according to the Department of Public Safety. All five cases are local residents. Three patients were vaccinated and two were unvaccinated, and all were experiencing symptoms at the time of testing. Yakutat has seen a total of 52 cases since the start of the pandemic, with 31 of those cases reported in the last six weeks. The state's education department calls the lack of teachers in Alaska an emergency issue and says the pandemic is only making things worse. It's willing to pay up to $300,000 to figure out how to attract and keep more teachers in the state. Teachers and the union support the move, but as Claire Strempel reports for KTOO, they say the number one reason they're leaving is pretty obvious. James Harris is Alaska's 2017 Teacher of the Year, and he doesn't live or teach here anymore. I'm teaching in uh, just outside of Seattle, Washington, and uh, I've been down here for a few years. He says there's more than one reason he moved. The number one reason was the retirement. Uh, the Unfortunately, the retirement system in Alaska it was set up in a way that there was just absolutely no way for me to retire with any kind of dignity. Harris began teaching in Alaska in 2006, the first year after the state's legislature cut teacher pensions, known as defined benefits. Experts say Alaska is the only state that doesn't offer teachers a pension or Social Security benefits. Teacher turnover has hovered above 20 percent for the last decade. That puts Harris among the one in five teachers that leaves each year. He said he hoped state leaders would provide funding for education and educators, but eventually decided he couldn't wait any longer and moved south with his family. The, the loss of the defined benefits um, plan is the single biggest reason I see that we lose teachers. 
Corrine Marks has been teaching in Alaska for 25 years. She teaches high school English in Juneau and trains teachers-to-be at the University of Alaska Southeast. She has about 30 people in the program right now. Teachers from Alaska are more likely to stay here, but she still sees turnover. I've had more teachers come and go just here in Juneau, which is an easy place to stay comparatively, right? Because they have nothing holding them here. Marks plans to retire here so she can collect her pension, those defined benefits teachers don't get anymore. It's guaranteed income after she retires. New teachers do get retirement benefits in Alaska. They just aren't pensions. They usually come in the form of contributions to a retirement account. But after teaching for five years, Alaska teachers can take their retirement accounts with them if they leave. Union leaders say that leads to teacher tourism, where out-of-state teachers have a five-year Alaska adventure and then take their experience home for the rest of their career, after Alaska has invested in training them. I've been working on um, on the pensions issue um, since the state legislature first um, uh, ruined it in 2005. State Senator Jesse Keel says dropping the pension was a mistake that's losing the state money and talent. One study estimates Alaska spends $20 million on teacher turnover each year. He's supportive of the state's effort and says legislature bears some of the blame for turnover. It's up to them to fund education, but they haven't increased funding for more than five years. That puts stress on the whole system. Keel introduced a bill this year that brings back the opportunity for teachers to earn a pension. Not a big one, he said but it's an incentive to keep families in Alaska. By doing away with a pension, we have created a system where the rational economic choice for a teacher with five years experience is to leave. Is that really the system we want? So far, it's the system Alaska's been choosing. But this year, the Education Department is investing in someone to lead the state towards a solution to the broader problem of attracting and keeping teachers. This is not a a problem that we can solve by ourselves. Commissioner Michael Johnson heads the Department of Education and Early Development. The department can't solve it. Not one entity can solve it. Not one district, not the legislature, not the governor. All of us have to work together. He agrees pensions and pay are among the biggest issues, but says there's more than one challenge to attracting and retaining teachers in Alaska. Research bears this out. A working group identified six aspects the state should address, things like working conditions and developing leadership. The, I think, bottom line for me is that we take this report, we take this work from the task force, and then we do something. Applications for the job closed last week. The state refused to say how many applicants submitted a proposal. The state plans to issue a contract by November 1st. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Claire Strimple. Petersburg's Borough Assembly Tuesday night passed a resolution seeking changes in operations and permitting for precious metal mines in British Columbia near salmon rivers that flow into southeast Alaska. The language in the resolution is similar to one passed by the Sitka Assembly earlier this month. It's the latest in a series of statements the local government has made expressing concern about water quality and oversight of B.C. mines that have the potential to impact the water and fish of this region. This resolution asks for a permanent ban on the use of mine tailings dams and a pause on permitting for new mine projects until there's an agreement between the U.S. and Canada on protecting rivers from mining pollution. 
Petersburg resident and former state fish biologist Brian Lynch is with Rivers Without Borders, and he urged the passage of the statement. He said that Canada often seeks reductions in commercial fishing in Alaska, an analogy brought up earlier in the day. They do this because they have an equal seat at the treaty table with us where they can present their positions on our salmon harvests. That is their prerogative and their right to do so within the treaty process. That is exactly the sort of process and right that this resolution is seeking. The pause in mine development and permitting sought by this resolution is to have time <coughs> to develop a binding international agreement on watershed protections developed by all jurisdictions in these shared transboundary watersheds. Assemblymember Bob Lynn was not in support of the resolution as drafted. He compared it to B.C. asking Alaska to shut down a major portion of its economy. Lynn had worked to come up with a different statement. Rather than try to tell Canada what specific mining policy they need, I think we should make recommendations in the science, reducing risk of dam tailings, failures, sustaining fisheries in both countries, monitoring and recommending that a plan be developed in a way forward that begins to reduce the risk on both, on both current and future operations. Petersburg's Assembly has also passed resolutions and letters on the topic in 2014, 2017, and 2019. This one seeks to hold mining companies responsible for cleanup of polluting mines, like the Mount Polly Mine in central B.C. or the Tulsico Chief Mine near a tributary of the Taku River. Assemblymember Jeff Mucci supported the resolution because of the importance of the fishing industry to Petersburg's economy. I would hate to have a mining accident up one of these rivers um, have some kind of impact to the lo these local communities. So we are just kind of hanging on by a thread with the small boat commercial fisheries and the big boat commercial fisheries. The vote was 5-2 to two in favor of the resolution, with Lynn and Mayor Mark Jensen voting no. Taking a look at the community calendar. The deadline to apply for a seat on the Alaska Bureau of Land Management's 15-member Alaska Resource Advisory Council is today, Thursday, October 21st. Candidates must be Alaskan, commit to meeting two or three times a year, demonstrate expertise in their selected area of representation, motivated to build consensus, and engaged in learning about a variety of land management topics. Candidates represent public interest groups, including state, borough, and local elected officials, state natural resource agencies, Native American tribal interests, academians in natural resources, and the public at large. For specifics about applying, call Melinda at 907-271-3342 or 907-308-0770. The Sitka Tribe of Alaska's Natural Resource Committee meets at 6.30 p.m. today via Zoom. The meeting is open to the public. For a link, contact Helen Dangle at 907-747-7168 or email helen.dangle at sitkatribe-nsn.gov. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is 